Hello and welcome into Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA. Thank you for watching us on the We the Patriots USA Rumble channel and Red Voice Media, and for listening on New Hampshire Family Radio, WLMW, 90.7 FM, Manchester, New Hampshire, KKBB Radio in Las Vegas, Real Talk 93.3, The Voice of Freedom in St. Louis, and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like us on your station, email us at Taryn at WeThePatriotsUSA.org. Today we are talking about a groundbreaking case that could put shockwaves through the legal system whenever it comes to all of these COVID mandates and the hospital protocols. We're going to talk to Gail Sellier. You probably remember that name. I had her on the show about a year ago talking about how her husband came and broke her out of the hospital when she had COVID. He took her out bypass security. It's a crazy story and it's a God story and you need to go back and listen to it. But she's coming back today to give us an update on the work she's been doing with the former Feds Freedom Group. And one of that piece of work is a class action lawsuit against the company that makes remdesivir and how they're claiming that this was a uh, negligence and false advertising. And we all know that Gail knows this firsthand and how she was given remdesivir um, against her will, I believe. We'll have to recount that with her and um, the many, many other Americans that have either been injured or have lost their lives to these COVID hospital protocols. They are taking action in the courts. And you know that we're taking action here at We the Patriots USA in the courts having to do with all the aftermath of COVID and making sure this doesn't happen again. So it's really important that we all come together, we all team up, and we all talk about the different ways that we are working to combat everything that took place and everything that's continuing to take place. So we're going to talk to Gail and a team of her legal experts here in just a moment on Faithful Freedom. This episode is brought to you by Cardio Miracle, a vitamin D and nitric oxide solution that supports better cardiovascular and overall health for your gut, your brain, your muscles, your skin, your hair, your heart, your whole health. Learn about John Hewlett's discovery at CardioMiracle.com. This episode is brought to you by The Carnivore Bar, providing a fuel source for ancestral carnivore, paleo, and keto eaters who value their on-the-go autonomy without sacrificing quality nutrition. For 10% off, use code WETHEPATRIOTS at carnivorebar.com. That's WETHEPATRIOTS with an S at carnivorebar.com for 10% off. Where do we go from here? Because the battle has just begun. As eyes open, we continue to arm ourselves with the truth in all aspects of our lives, asking questions and relentlessly searching for answers, educating ourselves and forging a new path forward. Hear from real people faithfully pursuing freedom. This is Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA, a nonprofit 501c3 organization working to preserve and reclaim our God-given inalienable rights. Gail, welcome back into the show. It's been, you know, so awesome to see all the work that you've been doing since the last time we spoke. And I can't wait to introduce everybody to, to part of your legal team on this, this class action lawsuit against the makers of remdesivir. But, um, you know, I loved whenever we were talking off air prior to this on how this fight can be so weary because there's so 
many people that have been affected by this. Um, but you had a great line about making sure that we are taking care of ourselves, those of us freedom fighters. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So especially us women, right? Like yeah. um, we have, we're trying to juggle our families and our, um, and this fight, this fight that is so critical for their future, for society now. And so I always tell people, and many of the women I know that are listening to this will go, yep, she always says it. I always say, sometimes you got to put down the sword and pick up the spatula and take care of your family and then pick the sword back up later when they're all fed and happy and <laughs> you know that. So um, that's my, whenever I need a break, I'm like, I got to pick up the, put down the sword, pick up the spatula. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's so great. I need to remind myself of that a lot. And, you know, I have that internal battle with the Holy Spirit, just asking and yeah. praying, God, show me what I'm supposed to be focusing on today, which mission field and um, right. home or this, this fight. And so I so appreciate it. And I love too, how you gave um, a perspective to this fight that for you personally, because there's so many people that did not make it out of the hospital alive, but you did. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so, and I, and I'm, I'm always aware of that. You know, we've, we've published um, over, we've got, we've gotten over 1300 stories and we have um, published about a thousand of those. And so I touch every story. It, we have a team of interviewers but I touch every story to get it out there and, you know, make it nice. And um, it's not lost on me that um, there are so few survivors. I run a survivor group, a, a Tuesday night survivor support group. And there's, there's few of us, but we all deal with kind of the same things. And so, but I, um, God has literally blessed my family so abundantly this last year. We just celebrated my grandson, Michael's, first birthday, I would not have been here to see him had my daughter and my husband not stormed that ICU and removed me. And I, I, we celebrated his birthday, you know, the smash cake and all of that. And it, it brought me to tears because I was like, this is a little guy who ironically looks just like me. He's got the blue eyes and the only one in the family has got the blue eyes. And, um, I, as I watched him, I, it really brought, moved me to tears because he may have never known me. So, yeah, so I do, um, I'm very aware of that. And, you know, God's not only blessed my family, he's blessed the mission of finding other others that are in this, um, in this space. Like, I think when we had met, when I had met with you last year and came on, we, we had a few hundred stories. Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't many, we were trying to reach people and they've come forward and, you know, many don't, they're not, they're afraid to tell their story. So they need some support for a while. Um, and then some tell their story and they're like, I want to join, I want to join the fight. And so we have a citizen task force that is now over 130 people strong and they're all victims who have told their stories and they're not going to take it. They're not going to just sit down and go away and shut up. Um, and we've rolled out these state teams in many states. So it's, it's, and it's grown abundantly. It's, you know, we do Twitter spaces every Saturday night and the number of people, I think one time we had like almost a thousand people on our Twitter space and it was like they, and the number of people that 
raise their hand to speak and say, I never knew there were other people like you. I never knew there were people like me that knew my loved one died or was killed in a hospital. I thought I was alone. And, and it's so, I love hearing it. I'm, I'll stay up till two o'clock in the morning on a Twitter space just to hear those words. Right. And we have me and Carolyn have. So, um, yeah, so it's, God has really blessed the mission. He, we're getting a lot of things done. We're getting, you know, we're, we're, it's just like everyday people who've been victimized, right. And they're mm -hmm. trying to fight. And so God brought together all these different talents, you know, people in the medical field, people who are it orientated people who have, you know, support skills. It's, it's amazing. The different, um, talents, you know, that people didn't even know they had, right? Like some people start interviewing others um, on our, for our CHBMP, our COVID Humanity Portrayal Memory Project. And they are, they become interviewers and they, they're like, oh, I don't know if I'll be good at it. And then they're amazing at it. And like, people are finding, you know, God's just equipping people that want to. Oh, he is. He is. <laughs> and stories are so touching and you've been generous enough to connect me with a few. And I interviewed probably one of the most heartbreaking interviews that I've done aside from the interviews that I did for our documentary shot dead coming out on November 9th, chronicling families that have lost their children and babies to the COVID shot. Aside from that, the one interview that you sent of the two dads that um, the two husbands that lost their, their wives while they were giving birth and pregnant in the hospital, due to remdesivir and the COVID hospital protocols. I mean, this is, it's tragic. The, they walked in there thinking that their wives were going to um, go home with them with these beautiful babies. And here they go home by themselves with a newborn because their wives were killed by remdesivir and the ventilators and you name it, all the different things. So it's so important that these people are um, given some justice and that this doesn't happen again. So here on the other side of the break, Gail, we're going to bring in the rest of your uh, legal team on this episode with Carolyn Blakeman and Jamie Schur here in just a moment on Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson. But first, I want to talk to you guys about the wellness company's medical emergency kits. We have this amazing partnership with them now. And um, these medical emergency kits can come in handy. It may have come in handy for Gail or anybody else that was forced to go into the hospital if they had not um, suppressed these early treatments. But now you have them available to you because awake doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough started the wellness company to build a parallel system to bring desperately needed change to our healthcare. So these eight potentially life-saving med medications for you in this medical emergency kit you can have on hand for times of need, you know, natural disasters, supply chain shortages, medical emergencies, whatever. This kit also includes a comprehensive guidebook so you never have to guess how much to take or when to take it. If you're like me and you want to make sure your family is prepared for the unexpected, go to twc.health slash WTPUSA and use code WTPUSA to save 10% off at checkout. That's twc.health slash WTPUSA, code WTPUSA for 10% off. 
All right, and I want to welcome in to Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, the team that is helping to make this class action lawsuit against the maker of remdesivir um, and, and helping to um, bring together all these different plaintiffs and everybody that are joining the lawsuit. Um, Gail, I'll let you introduce the audience to um, just a small portion of your team because it takes a huge team to take on you know big pharma and these large pharmaceutical companies that have big pocketbooks. It does. It, it, yeah, it really does. And so um, the first person I want to introduce is uh, Cece Blakeman, Carolyn Blakeman. She is uh, the former Fed's media and um, legal liaison. And everything that we've gotten involved in, in terms of attorneys and um, lawsuits, whether it's against hospitals or this one, that is because of Carolyn. Carolyn is a bulldog. Probably every attorney in the country has had her ring their phone at least once. <laughs> and um, she's still looking for men and women with a law degree who have courage. It's important to have a spine if you're going to fight these people. And so Carolyn's on the lookout and she, she will tell you a little bit more about what she's doing. And Jamie Shear is one of those attorneys with a spine. Um, she has been um, absolutely dedicated to getting this lawsuit filed and raising the money that's needed and getting attorneys on board. And she just knew that we had to go after the, um, the pharmaceutical, I call them big harma, but you know, the big pharmaceutical companies who are putting this out and did it fraudulently because we have to end the protocol. That's the number one thing. We have to end it. We have to save lives. And so um, both of these women, I am proud to be in the trenches with because they are absolute warriors. Jamie, I'll start with you. Can you kind of just give us the basic rundown of the lawsuit that you guys have um, regarding remdesivir? Okay. Well, Basically, because of the PREP Act, and I know as soon as I start mm -hmm. saying that, people are like, uh, they start tuning out, like, what, what are we talking about here? I don't want to hear legal mumbo jumbo. But there is a PREP Act, which makes it very hard for people to sue big pharma or big whatever you called it. Big pharma. <laughs> pharma. Big pharma. Um, so we, for two years, were dancing around a whole bunch of us trying to figure out how to sue the pharmaceutical company and get them to stop giving this drug. And we finally found a way around it saying that they were falsely advertising and we have to do it in state court. So then we decided how can we bring this as a class action to help everybody? Because if you bring it in state court, it's just gonna help people in California. So then we found that the California consumer protection laws enabled us to do that. So that's why we chose California plus the fact that Gilead is located in California. So that helps us to not get dismissed so easily. The big issue that you always worry about is getting dismissed. So we decided to bring it in California. We have a great California attorney who's our um, person who's in that part of the country. And then we have attorneys from all over the country that are helping us. And thank God for, you know, computers today. We're able to, you know, um, work on a complaint and go from person to person around and around, redline it, all that stuff. And we got it done. And then we did a demand letter and we found out so much stuff recently so that, um, just so you know, besides Gilead, uh, Pfizer is involved in this too. So um, that's something uh, that we released just the other day in a demand letter. 
um, but we can also talk about that here. Um, we have two main plaintiffs. Okay, one who's like Gail, a survivor. Uh, his name is Ed, and he was given five days of the protocol, and he flatlined and then went into a coma, and they kept him on a vent for 30 days, and he believes that the power of prayer is what got him through. Literally, the entire town was praying for him, which is just amazing. There were signs up everywhere, and on the 30th day, he woke, and he pulled it all out of him, and um, he's not okay, though. I mean, he was a construction worker, and he was very fit before, and now he's on oxygen every single night just to get through the night, uh, and he has a lot of other health issues as well. And then the other plaintiff that we have, lead plaintiff that we have, is a man who was um, a father, um, a husband, a father of three grown children, and um, very healthy. And they went into the hospital, and he walked in and said, I don't want remdesivir. And they gave it to him anyway, which is like many stories that we hear. And uh, after one full round of remdesivir, he, um, he died. So, yeah, so those are our two main plaintiffs, and that's the gist of the case. It is um, a really heartbreaking, and I think it's fantastic that you guys have two um, different types of plaintiffs here, one that survived it, that can give a firsthand account, another that uh, lost their life to it, um, that can show just truly how devastating it, it can be. And so um, I commend you all for putting together this lawsuit and also adding uh, Pfizer to the to the um, scenario too. I know that's no easy task. Carolyn, how did all of this come about and how were you guys able to team up with, um, you know, a group of attorneys to, to make filing this lawsuit happen? Well, from the beginning, I was trying to get law lawyers to come forward and represent our, uh, our plaintiffs. And I couldn't get anybody, you know, every time I said COVID, I, they'd hang up on me or whatever. But finally I got a group to come to a meeting. I named the change maker and we just started brainstorming and um, a attorney named Matt Tyson in California came on board and he started taking cases of ours. I think he's got about 25 of ours now. And he found a way to get around the prep act using not medical malpractice, but fraud. And it's kind of the same thing as, um, as the class action is they're not, disclosing the dangers. They're not, you know, it's, it's just negligent misrepresentation of this drug. So I'm, I actually forgot how I met Jamie, but we met. Yeah. I was asked this in an interview yesterday and I was like, Hmm, how did this all happen? I know, and, right? Uh, and it wound up that I had started this telegram group uh, for remdesivir people. That's and um, I don't know if it was you or Brad, but somebody was posting things about doing the, the videos, the testimonials. And yeah. I was like, normally I'd be like, hmm, what's, what's somebody's trying to like, you know, go and take these clients away. And I have to check this out to make sure nobody's trying to, you know, take advantage of them. And Brad and I spoke at like two in the morning one day and we were on the phone until like four in the morning. And we just were like, we just knew it was like a bond. And then after that, I met all you guys. And um, oh, yeah, I think Brad said, you need to call Jamie Shear. And, <laughs> and I did. And I'm like, okay, attorney in New York. Sure. I'm down here in Texas. <laughs> and we, I remember setting it off right away. And I'm like, and she said, you know, we want to bring a remdesivir class action. And I'm like, oh, I was like, just like, she just dropped from heaven in my lap. 
I love that. I love to hear how it all comes together because it really is God working and orchestrating and connecting all these pieces. And it takes all of us um, from all of the various avenues to to combat this and to get this done. We'll talk more about this lawsuit, how you can get involved and how you can help out and the other various ways um, that they are trying to bring justice to what happened in just a moment here on Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson. Well, today's case spotlight, I hate talking about myself, but I am the case spotlight today because unfortunately, the Florida Commission on Human Relations has ruled against me in my case against the PGA Tour, but we are not backing We welcome back into the show Gail Salir, Carolyn Blakeman, and Jamie Scher uh, taking on this remdesivir uh, class action lawsuit trying to bring justice to these families that either have been injured by remdesivir during the COVID hospital protocols or have lost their lives, their family members to uh, this remdesivir and, and these hospital protocols. Jamie, are you guys taking more plaintiffs? Are you are you taking more plaintiffs, or is this how is this structured? This class action lawsuit. That's a great question. Um, everybody that signs up through former feds or signs up through my website, myinsurer.com, through the JOT form, um, can be part of the class action. Even though we already started the class action, they can still join in any time. The best way to give you an example of that is if you ever like had a car and all of a sudden somehow it was found out to be like a lemon and you get a notice like a year or two later, did you own a Honda Civic that had, the, you know, when you get that, you may be part of a class action. So nobody has to worry. They can still sign in to the class action today, tomorrow, six months from now. Um, they should get the medical records though, because if we do wind up getting any money for this disgorgement or our primary uh, motive is to get this taken off the market, but if they do get any money, you will have to show that, uh, remdesivir was administered. So they should get that sooner than later, but um, they can sign up anytime they want. Carolyn, how important is it to have people um, signing up and, and bringing the numbers to this case? Mm. Oh, it's so important because many people just think that they died in the hospital of COVID. They don't even know that this was a deadly protocol. And I would say most people that were in the hospital got the deadly protocol because those of us that didn't get treated with remdesivir that were at home didn't experience kidney failure and all these other issues that came along with this protocol. So they need to know that they're not alone, that there is 
probably another reason for losing your loved one or getting, being injured themselves. And we also have support groups six mm -hmm. nights a week and daytime because these people need to be able to stay strong during this. The legal process is long and hard and slow. And a lot of these victims won't see an individual case because, like I said, it's really hard to find attorneys to take personal cases. We do have about 70 across the country. But like Gail said, we've got 1,300 victims. So this this lawsuit might be the only justice that they see. And everybody that was a victim to this needs some form of justice. They need some kind of feeling that their loved one did not die in vain. I just I'd like to add about accountability, too. It's very important. You know, we interview we give uh, every victim, um, I like to call them eyewitnesses to crimes against humanity, but mm -hmm. we like to give every one of them um, the opportunity to tell their story. And that's why we have a team of interviewers and we have the chbmp.org, the COVID Humanity Betrayal Memory Project, because there's there are a lot of ways to hold them accountable. And one way to hold them accountable is tell your story. Tell your story and it, it saves lives or it it does help others to come forward. We just heard from somebody two weeks ago because they're still using remdesivir. His cousin died from remdesivir and um, he saw other people on our project that died at the same hospital and reached out to us to get connected. And so like, there's all these things, it brings people together and then we can even get them the you know support. And um, it, when Carolyn finds an attorney in a state it goes fast. Like the attorney's like, all right, I'm interested. Send me a list of people that, right, Carolyn, it's very fast. We, we get to work when we find an attorney. Yeah. I'm like, I need the, I need every victim in this particular state now. And Gail's like, hold on, I'm on a meeting. I'm like, no, I need it now. Yeah, because, and actually along you know, those lines, you know, when it comes to um, sometimes the statute of limitations has run on some of these people. But a lot of times it's from the data discovery when you discovered that you were hurt or that your loved one was killed. So if you think that you're out of it and you cannot bring the lawsuit, talk to an attorney first and see perhaps you can because data discovery is a way around the statute of limitations to bring a case against the hospital, the administrators, the doctors, the nurses. And those of you that can remember, try to jot down every single name of every doctor that helped because it might not be in the records. You want to name everybody. Because that way, a, a lot of these victims think that their statutes run out because they're looking at their med mal statute. When fraud typically has, in most states, not in all states, but most states has a longer statute. Yeah. So you know, it could be med mal could be two years, but constructive fraud could be six years. So mm -hmm. they, they may not, you know, be passed when they think they are. And that's the way that the the individual suits are getting around the prep act is saying that it was fraud that the fiduciary or the doctor should have disclosed to the patient, what they're putting in their body. And they're not actually suing for what it did to their body, but that they weren't even being told or given a choice of what they're doing. Yeah. The that, attorneys that are working together with Carolyn, that's a lot of what they do. They are looking at ways to poke holes in that prep act. And we and, found them. <laughs> and they're finding them. Yeah. Yeah. That is so key. I actually, during We the Patriots USA's Vaccine Safety Awareness Marathon, their fourth annual one that took place in September, I had the pleasure of speaking with Ray Flores, who um, is an attorney that does work with 
um, the Children's Health Defense. And he was he has one of the few um, lawsuits like you guys that um, is poking holes through that PrEP Act. And it, it took him a while to figure out how to do so. But his is also, um, you know, foundationally set upon fraud as well, mm-hmm. um, just in the same way yours is. And so, you know, speaking of that and, and understanding and, and finding these, um, these ways to seek justice through, um, through these, you know, prep act and finding holes and things like that. Uh, how important is it and, and how vast of a, of a network, um, how important is it to have that network and how vast of a network have you guys been able to build, um, around these legal, um, fights that, that y'all are doing, whether it's with remdesivir or, or any of these hospital protocols and, and everything surrounding COVID? Well, I'm uniting a lot of attorneys together with my changemaker meeting, but um, Catherine Hewitt with Warner Mendenhall's office has started a group, a nonprofit called Freedom Council. And mm-hmm. that's just a landing pad for all attorneys that are willing to get in this fight, whether it's individual protocol cases or vaccine mandates or vaccine injury or whatever it is that's that's you know has to do with the COVID response. So that that site connects attorneys with victims. It teaches other attorneys how to how to fight these fights. It, they can brainstorm theories and share complaints and and just learn from each other on how to do this because we are in uncharted waters here. We've never had to go up against. Um, you know, this kind of thing before. And so a lot of attorneys that are not even men mal attorneys necessarily that we've got, you know, employment attorneys, just anybody that has the moral courage to come forward and say, this is the right thing to do. Cause there is no guarantee, but there with freedom council, they can go and sign up for free. Um, I believe it's freedomcouncil.org or they can contact me and I can get them connected and there you can get all the resources that you need and um, different attorneys that are already in the fight will can do webinars and seminars to teach other attorneys how to get involved. That's right. And a lot of attorneys are afraid of the, you know, because of the money, but, you know, some of them have been doing fundraisers and we've got the give, send, go for the Gilead lawsuit um, because yeah, we've got the medical alert bracelets they can get on former feds. I'm, I'm allergic to uh, remdesivir, veclery, baricitinib, and fentanyl. And these have saved lives. People go into the hospital for any reason and um, they just write it down. Oh, allergic to remdesivir. Because when you say you don't want remdesivir, they always find a reason why emergency you had to have it. But when you're allergic to it, they can't give it to you. And if they ask you, how do you know you're allergic to it? Just say, I'm allergic to kidney failure and I'm allergic to death. <laughs> so that's what we, but um, yeah, they, these are, since they are medical alert, have the little medical alert symbol on them. They are legal directive. It's just like wearing yeah. a, you know, your other medical alert um, bracelets of things that you're allergic to. So they're really important to I you. Mean, we had a lady go in uh, a couple of weeks ago with uh, complications of a UTI and they started her on remdesivir because, of course, the hospitals are highly incentivized to use it. So if everybody in the country had one of these bracelets on, we would not we would not have a remdesivir problem. But yeah. um, you can get those on our website, too. And they do help fund the class action because we yeah, need some we money still, going against Big Pharma. <laughs> yeah, we still get a lot of calls about my loved ones trying to they're trying to give them remdesivir. We're pretty we're constantly busy with those calls. And they're coming out with an oral form too. That yeah, take home form actually, of severe. Yeah. Well, right now they they've gone into outpatient. 
So what they mm-hmm. do is they will give it, give you one dose in the hospital, send you home and tell you to come back. So maybe by the third or fourth dose, you'll die at home. So it won't be a hospital protocol anymore. It'll just be an outpatient thing and they'll call it COVID. But the next thing they're coming out with, according to someone that we know on the inside, is an oral form of it. So you could go and buy it at your pharmacy, just like you'd buy Tylenol PM or Advil PM or whatever they have, and keep it in your medicine cabinet and take it at home and probably take the wrong amount or whatever, but it's it's terrible. I think there's a one molecule difference that they're stating, so maybe it would take a little longer to kill you, but it's still very bad. So we're looking to get all of that taken off the market permanently under any person, like in other words, any Gilead or Pfizer or anybody else, nobody should be able to make this drug ever again. And you know, the other day we were talking about this and they were talking about how many people have died from it, how many people got injured from it. And I said, why don't we ask how many people have gotten cured from it? And the answer mm-hmm. is probably zero. So why would you I don't know. Wow. Anybody. That's very powerful. I think that's a um, that's a great question. That'd be a great investigation to to find um, some pe- some people that have actually been cured by it. Well, we'll talk about the timeline of this lawsuit coming up here and um, a little bit more here on Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson. But first, I want to tell you guys about the premiere of our upcoming documentary, Shot Dead, coming out on November 9th. That's the one-year anniversary of the death of Trista Martin, would be 19 years old. We are showing this for the first time in her hometown of Tulsa, Oklahoma. She is one of three families that we are showcasing and showing the humanity. We go inside their homes. They tell us the last times they saw their children take their last breaths, what it was like to leave them there in the hospital, lifeless on the table. We are restoring the humanity back into these stories. And you can help us by going to shotdead.org and making sure to sign up to receive the link for the live stream whenever it goes, whenever it happens on November 9th um, at 6 p.m. And then from there on out, it will be available on demand for all to see at shotdead.org. And please help us to spread the word and share it. Welcome back into Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson presented by We the Patriots USA talking about um, this groundbreaking class action lawsuit going against Gilead and and, and Pfizer, um, talking about the fraud and the malpractice that took the place in the use of remdesivir during these hospital protocols that are still continuing to happen. And Jamie, you just highlighted the various ways that they're trying to push this out into the marketplace, into pharmacies, into um, outpatient and the going home and, and taking remdesivir on your own. And um, it's just really hard and difficult to wrap your head around how they're getting away with this still. Um, What is the timeline now on this lawsuit? Now that you guys have filed, what are the next steps? What are you waiting for now? Well, we filed, then we had to put a demand letter in. Uh, They have a right to cure. So we did put that in. Um, And uh, we actually have that on the website if anyone wants to see it. Um, And then they have to respond to it. And I'm sure with their response, they're going to try to move it federal court. They're going to try to dismiss it. And uh, we're ready for that as well. After that, we'll do discovery. And if we survive the motion to dismiss, which I anticipate we will, who knows if it'll go to trial or they'll try to settle the case. So we'll see. Um, Settlement would mean only we don't care about money. We care more about taking this off the market. 
Um, money would be nice for all the you know people that got injured and the families that are missing loved ones. But um, most of, mostly, Gail will tell you, everybody wants to make sure that these people that have died, their death is not in vain, that it saves other people's lives. And you know, just going back a second for, to the lawsuits, a lot of people ask us, if I'm in the class action, can I still bring a case against my hospital? And the answer is yes, and vice versa. So if you bring a case against your hospital, can you still be part of the class action? The answer is yes, you can do both. That is a huge uh, bit of advice there. And that was key. I want to reiterate you and clarify. You said even if um, this case does get settled, part of a settlement could be taking remdesivir off the market, correct? Is that what you said? Not part of it. That ha that's that's yeah. really our goal. Yeah. Our goal. It has to be removed in perpetuity forever. It can never be used ever again for anything. It goes back to the beginning of time when they first had this, the Ebola trials. There's never been a good, successful trial with this drug. There's no reason why they used it right now. No reason. Mm -hmm. And and just so people are aware, they recently approved this drug for people with kidney problems. Wow. And I mean, that just happened recently. When it causes kidney and problems. And it causes kidney problems. <laughs> they are using, we get calls that they're using this for RSV. And you know how many kids will go to the hospital with RSV. If this will take down an adult, imagine what it does to children and they give it to children. Yes. When you're, when you're given a 20 cent, 20% 20 bonus on your entire hospital bill for using remdesivir, it's pretty motivating for yes. the hospital administrators and CEOs. And it's, it's, I mean, when, when have we ever needed to pay somebody to use a medication if it works so well? Right. Absolutely. That, do you know when that bonus was enacted? Was that just um, during COVID or has that always been there um, for remdesivir? I, I don't even understand how it got put into um, and solidified into COVID protocol and, and you know, given this, this star status in the medical field. I don't know the date it started, but I do know that it ended at the end of September and that's why we did the class action right before the end of September, September 27th, because we wanted to see if we can prevent them from trying to renew that. And I don't know if people really understand how much money that means for the hospitals. Some of the billing statements were three, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000, somewhere over a million dollars, and not even for a month in the hospital. I mean, that's, that could be 10 days, 15 days. That's insanity, but there's the yeah. incentive. The That's average, just per patient, right? Per patient. Yeah, the average across the country was if you had a COVID admission, gave remdesivir, put him on a ventilator, and had COVID on the death certificate, the average the hospital received per patient was around just under three hundred thousand dollars a person. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you look at my my medical bill was almost four hundred thousand, and I wasn't on a vent because they stole me. My family stole me back. <laughs> so I wasn't out of it. But yeah. And that's not even, I mean, if someone goes under the remdesivir and they get an average of 300, 400,000 just for administering remdesivir um, and that patient goes on to, to die, that's not even including the kickback that they're getting for the death either. Yeah. 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 It's when really working treatments cost a dollar and remdesivir treatment costs $3,120 and the other treatments were, you know, 63% recovery rate and remdesivir was like 11 
I mean, it's, it's just clear. AJ Dupree is a brilliant researcher and she's got a white paper out called follow the blood money. And it really breaks it down, all this financial stuff down and has some charts about the different treatment options and the cost and the percentage of improvement. And remdesivir was forced from the bottom for improvement. And the one, and I think the most expensive. Yeah. And uh, C19 early.org has 3000 peer reviewed studies from across from the start to up to up to date. And it, it shows that even melatonin and iodine outperformed remdesivir. So it was, it was, all risk and no reward from the start, from the start. And Fauci has a pattern of doing this. He did the same thing during the AIDS epidemic with Bactrin. You know, he's, how do you know when he's lying, when his lips are moving? So if, whatever he says, <laughs> do the exact opposite. <laughs> that, uh, that brings me to my next question. Um, do we have other lawsuits um, similar to this that have set precedents for, you know, fraud and, um, you know, and malpractice and things like that regarding um, other drugs that you guys have been able to look at and and use for looking at for precedents for this case? Well, not exactly because of the PrEP Act. We had to go around a different yeah. way. So this is, we're in really uncharted territory. However, we do believe that the uh, complaint that we did that's on my website, uh, some other attorneys might wanna go and take a look at it and use it against Pfizer and Moderna for the vaccine because it really does have a lot of similarities. And they were even more blatant about their safe and effective advertising. So um, we think that we, you know, found a way around it and hopefully, you know, we'll be able to, you know, prevail. And then I think that if we do, it's gonna embolden other attorneys to do the same thing against these other companies. Absolutely. The other, the other individual lawsuits, not all of them, um, got remdesivir. So the the fraud is just, there's a, there were several EUA drugs, remdesivir mm -hmm. being the worst, of course, but barcitinib, um, tocilizumab, tocilizumab um, a bunch of one, ones that are hard to say, but they, uh, they're they not being told about any of these being an EUA drug, unapproved, experimental. And the whole you know thing of fraud is just that they're not disclosing that these are, these are, dangerous drugs or there's have the side effects that they do or they're experimental or they're unapproved. And so the patient has no idea what's being put in their body. They're just like a human lab rat, really. And there's also a couple ang angles that they're filing under is elder abuse, um, medical battery, yeah. practicing medicine without a license, which is huge because the doctors are saying, well, I'm just doing what I'm told. I'm just doing what the, what the administration, hospital administration said to do. Well, the hospital administration aren't doctors. So, you know, I think it's going to come to a point where the where the doctors and the hospital administrations are going to start throwing each other under the bus because someone's got to be take the blame for it because somebody did it. But that's another angle. And hastening death is another one because that's they're right. trying to get get this person killed so they can move another person in that bed. You know, we're talking about the three hundred thousand dollar, you know, role here. So. Killing yeah. Yeah. Well, that also brings up the whole point of who's paying that money. You know, it's insurance companies that are paying it, right? So who's really funding those insurance companies? Is it the government? And if the government's paying it, who's really paying it is us, the taxpayer. Right. And because when, go ahead. I was going to say, say when, <laughs> when has the insurance company ever wanted to improve the most expensive drug and not the cheapest? There's something going on there. 
Well, that also goes into then, what are we doing? Is it because of the money or is it really a genocide that they're trying to, what's the intent here? So my, my question would be if, let's say ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine was still on patent and was an expensive drug, would they have allowed us to use that because it would have made money for the hospital or do they just really want to kill people? So that's a question I don't know the answer to, but I'd really like to know if anyone else does. I also would love to put a call to action out there to all the insurance companies that um, are representing the doctors in the hospitals and tell them to stop insuring remdesivir. That way the hospitals can't give it anymore. The doctors won't give it anymore because they won't be insured for it. Think about that. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's a great, um, that's a great thing to end on here on Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson presented by We the Patriots USA. We're going to have the link for your gifts and go fundraiser to help contribute to this uh, lawsuit in the show notes. We will also have a link to, um, to enter this lawsuit as a class action lawsuit and various other ways that you can get involved with this lawsuit, what former Fed Freedom Group and, and others are doing. Um, to combat and to seek justice. Thank you, ladies, all for joining us today. Thank, Thank you. you. If you enjoy our content, prayerfully consider making a tax-deductible donation at wethepatriotsusa.org so we can continue to power the education arm of our mission that also extends to work to preserve and reclaim our God-given inalienable rights. God bless and thank you from everyone here on Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA. We the Patriots USA does not endorse or recommend any product or service advertised on this program. We the Patriots USA is not a healthcare provider and cannot provide medical advice or treatment.